0: Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma the Let's Career Grandma Warrior, 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 Podcast. Warrior, Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about how the hiring process happens behind the scenes. Yes, today I brought on Shelley Piedmont, who has been in human resources for over 20 years, and also currently serves job seekers as a strategist and career coach. Shelly has read thousands of resumes and interviewed too many candidates to count. She's hired for everything from entry-level hourly positions to senior leaders on behalf of Fortune 500s, small and private businesses, and really everything in between. Fun fact, Shelly also went to Cornell University, like me, and studied hospitality. We're going to have a mini reunion here and I didn't even know it. So let's dive into how companies are hiring because not only will this help the curious job seeker, but the one who is wanting to deconstruct the process and get ahead of the competition. Let's launch right into it. This is episode 197 of the Career Warrior Podcast. Hey, Shelly, how are you doing today?
1: Well, hi, Chris. How are you?
0: It's great to have you on the show and a fellow Cornelian, which gets me so excited. Tell me a little bit about your career transition from hospitality to the world of HR. I want to hear it.
1: Well, I, as you know, we went to the same school, so had a real interest in hospitality. My focused area was food and beverage management, and I was going to go into operations. And after graduation, I moved cross country, started working with Fortune 500 restaurant company and was on an operations track. And then lo and behold, the company got reorganized. And the position I was training for, uh, they eliminated it. So there was some hard thinking about what do I want to do? And I got a call from corporate office and they said, how would you like to be a recruiter? I said, well, I haven't really even thought about it. Okay. Right. Am I doing something else that you know, would make more sense. I said, "No, I'll give it a shot. You know, I could be really good at this. And I did. And I loved it. I was a little bit surprised that I loved it, but I really (laughs) did. It was great to interact with so many people. I found it quite satisfying to be in a position where I could really change people's lives. They could find a position that really met their passions and their interests. That was great. And then obviously on the corporate side finding people that would really move the business forward, that oh, yeah. was just a joy to do. I was so pleased and continued on doing recruiting for a very very long time.
0: That's amazing. And I think we talked a little bit about this before when we first met, but it's so funny how the world can pull you in a bunch of different directions and in your case when the company just eliminated the position you were put in the position like, what the heck do I do next? And look at you now, you've had this amazing 20 year, you know, history working within human resources. So I think that should give a lot of encouragement to job seekers who may be going through the same thing right now. Let's just be honest.
1: Yeah, sometimes change can and reaction can be a disappointment. But when you look back, sometimes it's the best thing that has ever happened to you. I'd say Mm. that especially to people who get laid off. It is a great disappointment. Obviously, no one wants to go through that. But right. for many people, it opens up different possibilities. And they take a turn in their career that they may have not thought of prior, but ends up being really beneficial to them.
0: Absolutely. So Shelley, today we're going to be going behind the scenes of the hiring process. We're going to look at the world of recruiting and hiring managers, but let's get a little bit real here. How is this information going to help job seekers at all? You know, what's the point?
1: Well, that's a really good question. I'm a big believer that knowledge is power. If you're going to be doing something that's going to impact your life, I think it behooves you to try to understand the process as much as you can. That way you can anticipate bumps in the road. And understand why they're happening. It also helps you to understand where you can engage in the process that may be beneficial to you. So I think your listeners might get that information from our discussion today.
0: I love it. So let's launch right into it. Who are the key players of the hiring process? I know a lot of people get confused. A lot of people are like, okay, who's making the decisions? But let's hear it from someone who's been in it for a long time.
1: Sure. So there are several decision-makers actually in the process. But in terms of who are the key people, that is obviously going to be the hiring manager who will ultimately make the decision and whoever is assisting that person with recruiting. So that can be usually a recruiter. Um, It could be an HR manager, usually somebody in the HR department. Now, other people who may be in that process would be other stakeholders who have a interest in who is hired and they may be part of the interview process. So when you have multiple interviews, that's usually who's brought in. You may be working with a sourcer who either is an employee of the company or is contracted. Uh, They have a special job and their job is to find candidates. They proactively go out into the market. That might be a first encounter with the company, but then you may get involved or passed on to a recruiter. There may be some administrative people that reach out to you for scheduling or other information. Um, But that's the core group of people that most people who are in the job search might deal with.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. And like you ultimately you have the final decision maker who says yes or no, you are going to get this position and the people at the top of the funnel, so to speak, who are finding the talent and sourcing the talent, does it make a difference whether or not the company I'm applying for is large or small? Do the key players and the structure of the hiring process, does that change?
1: It can. What I mean is if it's a larger company, the process may be more structured because there's a higher volume of people that are hired. So they may have different processes, that they want people to follow because they are dealing with so many candidates. They want to make sure they understand where people are in the process. So that might be a little bit more rigid as opposed to a smaller company where they don't hire that many people. And so each opening, it can be treated totally differently with different process that they want to do for that. So yes, it can change. But that's not a hard and fast rule either.
0: Okay. Makes a lot of sense to me. I know people do get tripped up. And another thing that we probably aren't going to have enough time to get into here are, you know, applicant tracking systems and how people are organized. And I know every company has a different process for that. I will just ask a quick, just key question here. What do people need to know about the ATS in terms of applications?
1: The ATS is a tool. It is not the evil, though
0: some people, some think, people it is. think it is.
1: <laughs> it is a tool to help recruiters manage the applicant flow. Essentially, it helps the recruiter not forget you, is the best way I can describe it. You <laughs> have a profile, you have a status, you have everything in one place, and so that is helpful. Now, people get a little bit afraid because they hear, well, the ATS, it's going to decide whether I move forward. That's not really correct. The ATS is programmed by humans. So the humans are making the decision for the ATS. So, as an example, if you have, it's a position where you are driving and you need to have a valid driver's license, and you say you do not have a valid driver's license, the ATS may say you're not qualified, and therefore that pull you out of the people that are applicable for that job. But that's a decision made by the company, not by the applicant (laughs) tracking system.
0: And I get that. That makes a lot of sense. And I think people do freak out about the ATS way more than they should. You know, trust me, from the resume side, where people are always asking me, how can I get this? past the ATS how can i do a quick scan to make sure it can get past the ATS and i tell people the same thing that you know humans are the ones that all have their individual preferences and things that they're going to decide are going to be filters for a job candidate so there is no one size fits all answer for the ATS because you're right at the end of the day it is decided humans are the ones really kind of guiding things and it's yeah. just a tool it's just a tool right
1: yeah some people get very fixated on the match matching to the job description. Mm -hmm. And I won't say that that's not helpful. It puts you at the top of the list. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a human reader look at your resume. And I have seen people who have, quote, matched high that I would not move forward because they just didn't have what I needed or the hiring manager needed. They had the right words, But when you look at the totality of their experience, it wasn't the right fit. You have to have everything that hiring manager has said that they need.
0: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to put things together for job seekers and talk about, we'll use the ATS as a starting point, but talk about the hiring process as a whole. So you would say that the intake of resumes is really part one of the funnel, correct? And then after that, what happens next? What is going on behind the scenes of the hiring process?
1: Sure. So can tell you from my experience as a recruiter and you know others that um, my peers in recruiting before an opening happens there is generally a conversation that is had between HR and the hiring manager and that is you many names for it calibration calls pre-recruitment calls essentially it is talking about the position an understanding having an understanding of what that process is going to look like and an understanding of what candidates who apply should have so that's part of that what should be in the job posting it also can be when a HR person is screening people what are they looking for so that we're all on the same page so as an example when i was doing this one of the questions I would always ask the manager, what are your must-haves and want-to-haves? I need to know, what is the red line for you? What experience do you absolutely have to have? And we would talk about why. So I understood, okay? Then, okay, when I had that information, then I could, as the person who would be looking at the initial resumes, then had a really good idea who were the people then that i needed to speak with because i would then do a screening interview get somebody on the phone and i would ask more in-depth questions to ascertain additional information about the
0: person i can imagine that calibration call being incredibly important because isn't it the case where oftentimes the people who are sourcing and finding people at the top of that funnel, they don't have the same exact background. They may not have the technical experience as well. So for instance, if I'm hiring a software developer, the person who's initially making that contact won't have been a software developer in the past, correct?
1: Correct. Think about it. I hired all sorts of positions, hired for all sorts of positions where I did not have that background. So I hired finance people. I hired IT people I hired, you know, data technologists, I hired all sorts of different people and what I would do part of my due diligence is try to understand that position as much as I could. But I was never, you know, technical expert in different programming languages. So, knowing that, we would come to an agreement okay. between myself and say an IT manager What were they needing so that I could know exactly what to look for?
0: Okay, so I always think about this in the context of resumes, because I think so many job seekers are putting just way too much jargon in their resumes and just getting way too technical. So I'd be curious to see if you've seen a lot of that in the past where you're just like, what is this guy saying? It doesn't really demonstrate anything. Or, you know, how do you feel about techno babble, so to speak?
1: I have seen technical resumes that are eight and nine pages. I was like, oh, I want to pull my eyes out me? thinking
0: about that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was excruciating. The person wanted to tell me everything, everything that they possibly could do. But it's not just people in the technical areas. There are, and this is a problem with a lot of people who write resumes, they will put a lot of acronyms in their resume that people within their company may know but somebody outside the company has no idea what it is okay and my thing is i have to go and look it up that's a problem for you make it simple yeah your resume does not need to have all that jargon in it because what you're doing is irritating me yeah (laughs) was more than anything else keep it simple The concepts, your accomplishments should be fairly easy for somebody to understand. Write it that way. That would be my
0: advice. Thank you for bringing that to light. I hope with this episode, hundreds and possibly thousands of people hear that message and maybe dozens of people will get a job because they'll make that one change in their resume. So I think that's great. So Shelly, let's talk about the selection of candidates for the interview. You've connected with the hiring manager on the types of people that you want for the organization, you've put out the job posting, you've attracted possibly hundreds of resumes. What happens next? How do you start to whittle that down to get people to interview?
1: Okay. Well, I'll speak for myself. I would keep notes on all of the applicants that I spoke with. As I was talking with them, I would type my notes and I would give you know, impression, my general impressions of the person, I would write down specifics that they talked about. And then usually at the end, I would give them a ranking based on my knowledge of the job, how I think, you know, on a one to five. And then, so I would then work with that hiring manager, I would go through the information with them, and tell them who I thought that they should speak with usually my hiring managers would prefer to speak with at least two to three people for more of an in-person interview. And my experience, and I can say it with me, also because I was very tenured and experienced in this role, is that I had some power that generally my hiring managers would go with my suggestion. There were times when they wanted to look at everybody, and they may decide that somebody else uh should be added to that group, we would talk about it, why they thought that what it was there something that I missed that they found to be very interesting about the person, and so we would go kind of back and forth about I will just add very rarely was that the person that they wanted to add hired okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason for that because yes. after my Tying with the candidates, I really got a good sense of knowing who they are and their fit. So, okay. But anyway, that's kind of how the back and forth went to decide who was in the group that would actually meet with the hiring.
0: Manager. Okay. And so the group that would meet with the hiring manager, that would be like your top. I mean, it depends on the company, of course, but like your top three to five candidates who were the best match for the job.
1: Yes. Now, my hiring managers, what we try to do with them. Is because their time is very important. From a company perspective, you want them to spend their time where there's the most ROI. So we really thought hard about what was the sufficient number of candidates to bring in. Okay. So in my organizations, we tried to keep that as small as possible. With me, the person that was screening and making sure I brought in the top people. Okay. Other organizations may take a different tack to that.
0: Okay. So with the screening process, any tidbits of information that you'd give people who are in the beginning of we'll call it like the first interviews, or the first meetings, whatever you want to call it. But what tidbits of information would you tell people before they even get to the the final person?
1: In terms of the screening process?
0: In terms of the interview specifically. Yeah.
1: I just want to understand the question. My interviews or my screens or for the hiring manager?
0: For your screens. Okay, just wanted to clarify that.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that I would tell anybody out there listening is keep your answers distinct. I'm, as a recruiter, doing multiple screening interviews a day, and I have allocated a certain amount of time. If your answers go on long, you are then not giving yourself the opportunity to answer more questions. So if you go on and on on a question, you do yourself a disservice. And there were many times that I would have to interrupt people and tell them, you know, kind of summarize what they're saying and really kind of get them to move on. That's a little awkward, but
0: I've been on the receiving end of that. Just, just so you know, it doesn't feel good, but it taught me to tighten up my answers for sure. Right.
1: Exactly. The other thing I would say, we can talk a little bit about the salary question. Don't be surprised when you're asked it because it's an important determiner whether you move forward. So I've had, well, can't believe you're asking me. And they have no answer already set up or thought of ahead of time for that. The reason that it is is because as a recruiter, I'm trying to find the right person. I'm also, as I mentioned before, trying to use the time of the people in my process as efficiently as possible. If we get to a final candidate and I have not asked that question and we find out that we aren't even close in terms of our expectations, I have wasted everybody's time. It makes me as a recruiter look bad that I don't know how to do my
0: job. Okay.
1: That's why it's asked is not supposed to be a confrontational conversation about it. It's just to understand where everybody is in that process, because you as a candidate have requirements, right? The company has requirements. We just want to make sure we're in the same ballpark.
0: Okay. I've never thought about that before in terms of the reason why it's asked so early on. And I've even seen it put in application form fields, So before the interview or even before the screen even happens, it's being asked. Now I can see it's because you, know, you have a set of requirements that you have to meet and it's just, it is a filter thing, but it's gonna save time and it makes a lot of sense. So I get that. Let's talk about something that a lot of job seekers ask. I've been asked this several times, but why do recruiters... Ghost people. I know we had a conversation about this before, and you're a golden example of what to do. But I've heard many instances where job seekers will have interviews and they'll say, You're an awesome candidate. You're great. I'm going to get back to you as soon as possible. And then pretty much radio silence after that. But wanted to get your take on that and why this happens in the first place.
1: Well, so against it, <laughs> I can't even tell you. I don't think you should be a recruiter if you ghost candidates. I think it's just totally unacceptable. Now, that being said, it does happen. So why might that happen? Well, you always have to look at it from that person's perspective. Why would they ghost a person? Well, they would ghost a person generally for two reasons. One is they're just so overwhelmed that they don't have the bandwidth to get back to people. Now, that's not really a great excuse but it it can be a reality. It's the reality, yeah, recruiters don't just work on one opening uh, depending on the company, they can work on uh you know single digit number of openings to you know thirty fifty. I've seen recruiters unfortunately have a hundred openings now, you think about that, they're just trying to keep their head above water, and therefore. If that's the case, they may just feel like they got to keep things moving on and that responding back to an applicant just is a lower priority. I don't agree with that, but that could be a reason. The other reason is recruiters do, just like anybody in any job, they're going to do the things that get them the accolades, the promotions. You know, the pat on the back, the good job performance. And what do recruiters generally get reviewed on? They're getting reviewed on the positions they fill and how quickly they fill them, okay? Because that's what the company values. Now, when you think about that, anything that moves candidates forward in the process, activities to find the right candidates, those are valued. Not necessarily the activities to tell candidates that are not moving forward in the process. That's the situation. So when it comes to their focus areas, some recruiters then feel they're going to spend their time on activities that will benefit them and not on activities that they don't perceive to benefit. Okay.
0: So, it makes a lot of sense to me. And if the thing that you're implying, I guess, is if you are being ghosted, it's highly likely that you were passed at a certain point, whether or not you know the reason why. I mean, are there instances where I might get quote unquote ghosted, no response for a while after I've even sent an initial message, where I should continue to follow up after that to see whether or not, you know, my chances are still around? What would you recommend for the job seeker in that case? So,
1: and that can be a little bit different, Chris. Um, If you are um, getting a delayed response, that can be because of many facts. Oftentimes, the timeline that the recruiter thinks that decisions are going to be made isn't followed. It isn't because people in the process are trying to wreck the process. It's because of business. So as an example, you can anticipate or a recruiter could be told, well, a decision is going to be made by this date and they can tell the applicants that's when the decision is going to be made because that's what's been agreed to. But let's say the decision makers can't get together by that time. Something happens. Someone has to go on travel. Somebody forgot that they're going on vacation. You know, there is a crisis of some sort in the business and all attention has to be on that. And so the people involved cannot make the decision. So what can happen is that a recruiter, instead of saying no decision has been made yet, doing that positive outreach, instead chooses to not respond at all because they don't have any information to get.
0: Makes a lot of sense.
1: That can happen. So in that case, responding and by that candidate to, you know, prompts, like I was told that I was going to hear something, has something changed? You know, do you have a new date where I might hear something? Those type of messages are helpful to keep you top of mind. Good to know. Okay. and. So what may happen is date has passed and then you get it, that recruiter gets the message and they're like, oh, you know, I still don't have information, but I should at least respond back that. I don't have
0: information. I love it. Something that job seekers are constantly worrying about. The people that do deal with that. So thanks for bringing that to light. So I do have one final question for you to round out this episode. Let's say I have reached the final stages of the hiring process. I've been killing it. My resume was awesome. I've been screening well, interviewing well, and I have that final interview. What am I going to do to ensure that I stand out among the maybe one or two other people that I'm competing against to land that dream job?
1: Okay, there's some things you should do. One, make sure, and hopefully you've been doing this the whole time, is research well the people that who will be interviewing you to understand a little bit about their background and experience. And also, if you can, to get additional information. And that can be through your contacts in the company or anybody who's previously worked at the company if you can um, to know a little bit about them and their hot buttons and what they will find is important that way that helps you prepare for questions that they might ask that would be important to them so preparation is always important the other thing i will tell you is for the final interviews whoever that might be and that might even be a panel interview is while the Hiring manager may be the ultimate decision maker. They often are not doing that decision alone. So they may need approval Mm -hmm. from their manager, and often their manager will be in the process as well. And so you need to make sure you are impressing everybody in the process, not just the hiring manager. So if you have an interview with even a potential peer, make sure that you are preparing for that interview like you would with the hiring manager. Their opinion is valued and you do want to make sure you make a positive impression. Oh,
0: uh, I love that. Shelly Piedmont, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find out more about you and what you're up to?
1: Oh, well, many ways. <laughs> I invite anybody to come to my website. It's very easy. It's my name, com. I have a job blog on there. I have a lot of information about recruiting on there, all sorts of information that is helpful. I'm also on LinkedIn. Again, my name, easy to find me there. And I usually post at least once a day a tidbit uh, about recruiting. You can also find me on Twitter at at Shelly Piedmont.
0: Great. Well, make sure to put your website as well as your LinkedIn profile so people can connect and follow you. And I just think it's great that you're so active on LinkedIn. And I think it's, it's always a good thing to do. Thanks for coming on the show. And I'll see you next time.
1: Great. It was my pleasure.
0: All right, listeners, that concludes episode 197 of the Career Warrior Podcast. I just enjoyed diving deep with Shelly into the hiring process. This is someone who had a lot of experience, who has a lot of experience, and no better person to get the 360 view about the hiring process. As I always do, I will make sure to include the links to connect with Shelly and to check out her work and her website, as I always do in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope this was valuable for you and I'll see you next week.